live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Obviously, uh, we're happy to be here. Not easy to get here. There's only 16 of us left, so uh, we take the opportunity very seriously. So we're not here for vacation. We're really happy to be here. Guys have played well through through two games. I think they're excited to play an excellent UConn team. You know, we had a good practice yesterday, a good practice today. Guys are in good spirits and uh, looking forward to competing. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Thursday. Silver Sevens is the site. Just down the road from the Sweet 16 over at the Fortress. Candy is with us. Adam Candy. James is helping us out down here at Silver 7. 77 cent beers during all of the March Madness action. Candy, how you doing, buddy? Good. I appreciate the bond treatment there. Candy. Adam Candy is with us. <laughs> well, not everyone knows your first name. Well, John Candy's not here, so I guess I'm a close second. <laughs> uh, some of the coaches coming in. We're coaching in this Sweet 16 quartet tonight. Familiar names like Eric Musselman. Of course, there is Mick Cronin at UCLA. Musselman was the coach at Nevada. Uh, Dan Hurley and UConn trying to make the Elite Eight. And Mark Few. Good old Mark Few. You fired up for this? How could you not be, man? If you've... I mean, look, if you love the tournament in the first place, it's a Sweet 16. You don't have to say a whole lot more than that. But how fortunate is it for Vegas to not only get the Sweet 16, but to get these games with these teams, which are interesting teams in the first place, but having all of these ties back to either Vegas or UNLV yep. one way or the other, right? Whether it's Julian Strother or, or Mick Cronin or, or any of these things, it's really cool to get an opportunity to see those faces, those games down the street. I'm so amped up for Vegas to once again show how cool we are for these big events. But I was disappointed last night to see a silly story come across the wire. I mean, it's a legit story, but what did uh, whoever books the hotels do to UConn? What happened here? Where were they staying? Why do they have to leave? Well... I mean, let's just say that when you go and look at police reports, Cofield, <laughs> for places that have problems on the Strip, they never use in the newspaper, they never use the actual name of the property. They just say the address. Like, so if I'll just say a hotel that is a pyramid <laughs> um, might have had some problems with the quality of the rooms, yeah. uh, the cleanliness of the rooms, the fluids that were in the rooms uh, that maybe hadn't been cleaned up from the last guest that had been there. And UConn was like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to move to another hotel. This is the How does that even happen at a place like the Luxor? How does it happen? I, I Look, man. What's, I, I'll ask you before, before even how does it happen there? Because I think um, I haven't stayed there in a long time. I was... Uh, I've been you know, down in the lobby area and the ballrooms, and I've gone to see shows. We're big fans of Carrot Top at uh, Casa de Cofield, and the property downstairs looks pretty good. I haven't been in a room in a long time, but I've heard there's been some 
disrepair. Um, I just I don't know how if whoever's in charge of booking the rooms, you got to make sure all four places are in are in pretty good shape, right? You don't want this to go national because then that to me it, it you know puts a little pall over the, the whole strip. And I know it's property specific, but it's not a good look. Oh, of course not. No, it's a terrible look. It's look. It's a terrible look in the first place for these teams to be staying on the strip because you and I have know that that is not the norm for teams that come and play against UNLV. But it's already national. It's too late for that. Yep. Like that's This story is out there on social and pushing its way around. And in the end, it looks bad for everyone. It looks bad for whoever's booking for the NCAA. It looks bad for Luxor. It looks bad for MGM. Yep. Uh, like, look, There's no question, as someone who used to work for that company at one point, there's no question that there are different levels of properties being right. offered to right. guests, right? But you're putting one of your crown jewel products in this NCAA Sweet 16 that you've worked so hard to get, and so much of it has been about the image of Vegas that you let one of the first things that comes out about it be a story about Vegas being dirty and definitely about what happens yep. here stays here when it's talking about vomit and other bodily fluids in a room that the teams went into. What's the worst thing you found in a room, not necessarily in Vegas, maybe it was Vegas, Worst thing that you've seen in a room as you checked in and walked into the room? Ooh, man. I, I mean, worst, I think, just means what I'm completely uncomfortable uh, dealing with, I think, right? And uh, let's just say there were some stains on the sheets that suggested <laughs> that it had been a very successful trip for someone uh, prior to me getting in there. What about you? Uh, let's see, because I'm, I'm really not picky on... Aside from Adam Hill, who's mentioned all the time on the show, as a very cheap traveler, he wants to make sure to save his employer's money, which I, I don't know that why he does that. Um, but I do the same thing. Um, so I'm notoriously cheap. I don't mind booking a two-star. I did go to one of the many trips I've done to San Diego. Uh, the SO and I were actually uh, <laughs> going on this trip. And I walked in. She kind of walked further in the room, and then I looked over to the left after we got through the door, and I saw what I thought looked like a pair of panties, women's panties, on the ground, uh, on the floor. So I was like, okay, let me just kind of slide that under the seat for now. I'll get rid of it later on. I'm like, okay, someone didn't clean up this room. Um, and the other one was on a UNLV trip. There was a mix-up on rooms. And I walked into a room, and a near-naked uh, Kevin Bollinger was there. Oh, is, is that does that go? Does that go oh. on the list of the worst? <laughs> Kevin's a very attractive man. Um, I, and yeah. by the way, I may be I may be uh, <clears throat> maybe exaggerating a little bit. I don't think he was near-naked, but it was his room, and I was like, man, if it had been two minutes later, because I don't know about you, Candy, but when I hit the road, I'm solo. I get in the room, I'm like, I'm taking everything off. Everything going off. I walk around this room naked and find all the nooks and crannies of the room, and then I'm comfortable. So thank God Kevin doesn't do that. But, yeah, I, I, I walked into a room that he had just checked in, like, you know, well. two minutes before, and I'm like, okay. I mean, the key, you know, the key card actually worked. So, Well, that gives a whole other meeting to <laughs> 21 pounds of meat. Uh, oh, my God, Cofield. That's uh, that's terrifying. That actually just reminded me of, of my app, of one of my worst hotel situations. I was covering the Masters, right. and I'm in Augusta. And you, as you might expect, not a lot of hotel rooms available in Augusta around the Masters. And this trip had been booked yeah. somewhat last second. 
and I found a place on Orbitz. That's how old it was. Uh, and it's like a, I don't know, one and a half star. And I walk in, and there there is just something... I'm not going to say it, it was not it was not poop, but there was a brown color throughout the bathroom. There wow. there was a broken rod where the hanger should be. The sheets yeah. were not made on the bed, and I already had kind of a stressful trip to get there. And I am not going to lie; I almost started to tear up. I'm like, I can't freaking do, do this. this. Like, I cannot I can't do, it. do it. I walk back downstairs, and I said to the guy who, by the way, was behind and this pre-COVID, a full sheet of what clearly was bulletproof glass. <laughs> Um, I was like, look, I cannot stay here. I know you have me prepaid for seven nights, but I cannot do this, and I will not do this, and if you don't do something about it, I will contest this with my credit card. And the guy was like, how about this? We'll charge you for one night, and we'll let you out of the rest. I thought, okay, so you know how bad this place is, that you have me pre-booked right, for seven nights. Right, You've right. got me. Yeah. And you're like, how about we just call it even after one? And I drove down the road and lucked into another motel where I was able to stay for the rest of the trip. Wow. Uh, lean Arkansas today after UConn's experience with uh, vomit and uh, DNA spewed everywhere. I don't know what was in there. Uh, on the way back, we'll get you set up for that game. Arkansas and UConn over at T-Mobile, Gonzaga, and UCLA as well. Cofield and Company live from Silver 7. Just come on down here. they got two bars to hang out at, tons of TVs. you got the William Hill book right here and beers during both of the games are just $0.77. Cents. That's bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Gonzaga has time to do something. Sox for the win. One of the great games we're going to have to take in Final Four history. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. It really was, right, Candy? That was an amazing game with the Zags and UCLA back and forth, back and forth, and then Suggs with the bomb off the glass and a really good call by Jim Nance. An even better job because I know you're into this as well. We're going to analyze some announcing later on, but... A very good job by Nance doing his call, getting out of the way, and then Raph, a veteran of the game, being able to uh, onions and onions and kiss. And to be clear about two things. First of all, that's one of the greatest games that's ever been played in the tournament. Second of all, get Grant Hill up out of the booth, please. <laughs> uh, he adds absolutely nothing. He's often stumbling on himself. He he is not someone who needs to be there with Nance and Rafter. There's no need for a three-person booth. You don't have to have a former player, okay? There doesn't have to be a former player with everyone else. Bill Rafter is one of the best to ever do it. He'd be fine with Nance. What do you think so far of the Hedgehog? I'm sorry. Stan, Van, Gus, Stan Van Gundy. Not, not really, not really a good thing to compare anyone to uh, Ron Jeremy anymore because he went off the rails big time. But uh, SVG kind of looks like Jeremy, at least facially kind of. and, and and physique. Well, most of the physique. Um, but yeah, but yeah, the uh, I, I think Van Gundy's been pretty decent. And we're going to talk about Harlan later on having to throw an arm across the uh, chest of SVG as uh, he was trying to make his call in the Furman game. So the setup from here. I mean, 
I, I don't swear by metrics. I don't even know if this is enough of a, a sample. But what do you think of this number that has been tracked, or at least this trend that has been tracked before and during the tournament, that every national champ since 2002 has been top 40 offensively from an efficiency standpoint while also being top 22 that year defensively. And the teams going into the field that match that were Creighton, Bing, Houston, Bing, uh, Bama, Texas, UCLA, Kansas. They got knocked out, but they also didn't have their coach, and UConn. So six of the seven made it to the Sweet 16. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of arbitrary endpoints to pull it down to 22. But at the same time, what's it telling us that we don't really already know like these games are going to become half court games. So when we say the team is better defensively than they better than they are offensively, then sure we need to know that you can defend in the half court because that's where the game is ultimately going to be played, and that's why it's okay to pull the offensive number up to forty because these teams ultimately have to be able to defend better than they have to be able to execute offensively. And you think about how the way they execute offensively during the year. Well, a lot of them are teams that are going to get up and down the court and try to get cheap possessions and get out there for runouts. Well, that just doesn't happen the same way this time of year. Another good one. You know, looking ahead to the Final Four. You know, it's funny. We have people come on and say, there's no upsets. See? No upsets. In the end, the Final Four always has, you know, high, high seeds. Well, actually, eight of the last nine tournaments, the Final Four has included a seven seed, or I'll call it, higher so these are the teams remaining and one of them is in action here one is playing actually what do we have two tonight uh playing at msg seven michigan state eight seed arkansas nine fau 15 princeton do you believe one of these four teams is making the final four it seems hard to imagine right but it's it happened, does but it's I, happened I, eight of the last nine years all right i'll say i'll say this much for it though do we really believe Arkansas is a nine? Like, Arkansas is not a nine. Arkansas, talent-wise, is far, far better than a nine. They just didn't play up to it for the entire season. So I don't really think that one of these teams is getting that far. But look, think about the fact that this year in particular, when we look at the rankings, we've had five different teams ranked number one at some point during this year. It's not like we have a UNLV 89-90 among this field Uh, we're talking about a year in college basketball where i don't know that anybody walked into this tournament thinking we know who the team to beat is there just hasn't been one in the ncaa all season long what do you think it's gonna be like you know vegas is vegas and obviously we have the event for the first time but we have a lot of college basketball here a lot of college basketball here and t-mobile has been the the home of a lot of these big time games in season do kids care anymore, you know, aside from the guys who are actually from New York at Michigan State and K-State, Michigan State, K-State, FAU, Tennessee. Do you think kids care that they're playing in New York, but more specifically Madison Square Garden? Yes, okay. absolutely. And look, maybe I'm going to sound like the New York homer that I am in saying that, but the Garden still has the reverence in the national media, right? You still hear it talked about in a way that I think resonates with kids and then you get kids like Noel from K-State who are New Yorkers, right? Like, this is this is their opportunity to go home and play in the arena they grew up idolizing, even if they didn't grow up idolizing the team that played in there. So, ultimately, Madison Square Garden, I think, still has an atmosphere that when you see old highlights or even when you see current players talk about the Garden, you see them 
and they say, oh, man, when it's right, it's right. Come hang with Cofield and Company at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside TI. Free parking, great food and drink specials, and giveaways. Every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside TI. They're in different conferences. They're a billion miles away from each other, but Gonzaga and UCLA have built up a little bit of a rivalry, especially through the play in the NCAA tournament. That was 2006 with the catch! Uh, by Gus Johnson on the call. He did it better. Um, and that was the Adam Morrison game when uh, everyone was a tough guy back in the day. Remember that? Remember doing sports talk after that one, Candy? When uh, all the tough guys puffed out their chests and were like, oh, he's crying. Okay. 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 That was a rough loss. It was a devastating loss for Gonzaga. So we're going to find out what they're going to do tonight against UCLA. Uh, Julian Minnison uh, works for KXLY in Spokane. He's on the road. You guys got a whole crew here. You guys are a bunch of you guys, well, two, are on the road. So uh, what's it looking like right now over by T-Mobile? Man, I'm actually in the plaza area, T-Mobile. The fans have arrived. There's quite a bit of Arkansas fans, which isn't surprising because in a couple of NCAA tournaments I've covered, uh, they pretty much show out in droves. So Arkansas-UConn fans out here, they have a Gonzaga and UCLA contingent as well at some of the bars um, outside of the New York, New York. So it it looks about ready for what should be a great uh, day of games here in Las Vegas. Yeah, I feel like... Mm, five or 6,000 Gonzaga fans, maybe a little less, but a pretty healthy number comes from the WCC or comes for the WCC over at New Orleans. How big do you think the contingent is going to be tonight and if they advance this weekend for the Zags? I think it's, it's going to be a pretty good turnout. Look, I think at the start of kind of as we got into March, a lot of the bracketology predictions had Gonzaga going all the way maybe to Albany or Columbus, Ohio and Des Moines. And we were kind of looking at that and like, uh, I don't know if, Zags fans, at least for the first two rounds, um, are going to turn out. And then it ended up being Denver, and then it was fortunate. Um, and then there were projections that didn't even have them in the West region. And then they got the West region. And I think that just kind of emboldened Zags fans to, you know what? I was on the borderline, but since it's so close and it's an easy flight, we'll make the trip. And they, they do pretty well out here in Las Vegas. And like you mentioned, a lot of success here in this city. Um, they played UCLA here in this city as well. So uh, I, I, expect, I expect a lot of Zag Nation to show out what has it been like this year for Gonzaga to have I mean it's always been a rivalry with St. Mary's but for St. Mary's to be a legitimate threat in the conference the way that it was up until the WCC final uh, but it's really been a a different kind of year with the different St. Mary's and it seems like a different year for Gonzaga in response to that yeah that's that's 100% correct I I mean I, I do think Gonzaga does have as much talent as anybody in the country but the team as a whole, they weren't going to be able to, and Mark for you even admitted it, they weren't going to be able to run through the WCC like they have in past years, partly because um, the conference is getting a little bit better, but also just because um, they, they have some guys stepping into the new role this year. And I think the whole point in, in scheduling a lot of these non-conference games that Gonzaga did earlier in the season against the likes of Kentucky and Michigan State and Alabama and, and you know, the Phil Knight tournament, um, a lot of that was to get ready for the tournament time now and I think it would be naive to think that they would just run through it like they have in the past I think Mark you kind of looked at it and said you know what we've been the number one seed in the west we've gone we ran through a, a season before where maybe we have one loss or two losses and been a top overall seed but it hasn't panned out in the NCAA tournament so the next best thing on top of playing a much improved St. Mary's team that was really good uh, and a much improved WCC but playing that non-conference schedule 
um, getting them ready, even if they suffered a little bit more losses than they have in the past. You know, it's obviously exciting for everyone in Vegas to see Julian Strother come back and the role that he's playing now, 15.6 rebounds a game for Gonzaga. It, it's been a steady climb watching him grow into the player that he is here today. How would you describe what Julian Strother's role is for this Gonzaga team? Well, coming into the season, he was kind of the big X factor, right? Because we knew what Drew Timmy was going to give us. He was going to be the number one option on the team and one of the best players in the entire country. But who was going to step up in that number two role for Gonzaga? And, and so far, he's been that guy. Look, this team is undefeated this season when he scores at least 14 points. And so that should tell you how much of an X factor he's going to be. Um, you know, I've seen him kind of jump in and out of different uh, NBA you know, draft talks and prospects because he's long, he can shoot threes, he has a high shooting pocket. Uh, and, and when he scores and he's on, they're very, very hard to beat. So um, I expect him, you know, he, no one's more excited than, than Julian to be playing back in his, in his hometown. Um, I, I know he's going to have the loudest cheering section probably possible um, out of anybody that was a lot of tickets. And so um, I expect him to 100% at least show out um, in front of his home, his home fan base and family and friends and all that. Jillian Minnesota is with us from uh, KXLY in Spokane, getting us ready for the Gonzaga side of things in the late game tonight over at T-Mobile. Aside from Strother, who's your guy on the team that you enjoy talking to, you find it to be fascinating conversation, or just a really good story? Well, I would probably say um, Razier Bolton is, is somebody that, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he is, he's a very good player, a very good person to talk to, but on top of that, He's kind of jumped around from different school to different school. He was in, you know, he was at Iowa State and Penn State and was trying to find a home. And he was he was on teams that just weren't very good. So to see him kind of these last few years blossom with Gonzaga, um, be a part of that starting role. Um, he had a great game against TCU, uh, scoring, uh, you know, in double figures in that game. He could be a, a little bit of an X factor, especially um, on both sides of the ball when it comes to going against these UCLA guards who are pretty tough, including Tiger Campbell. So um, that's somebody who. It's kind of been through a lot of trials and tribulations and battle-tested and ultimately is here and, and, and trying to win an NCAA championship and win Gonzaga's first program uh, title ever. I'm going to ask you a weird question, and this, is, this could be from a fan standpoint or a media standpoint. I, I was out there yesterday, and I was just kind of watching the, the coaches, the players, the people around the program. Which program of these four do you think carries themselves with the most pride and kind of arrogance? I had someone run it by me today that they were like, Man, that UConn group, they're kind of arrogant. I was like, yeah, they, they, they are. Um, or maybe you don't even see it that way. But I, well, like when I'm around the Blue Blood programs or ones that have a lot of history or national championships, there's a different feeling with the team and especially the people around the program. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I would probably, if you're going to lean towards any sort of arrogance or nose in the air kind of thing, it's probably at least out of the four teams. I noticed that from UConn yesterday. Yeah. They were the ones kind of blasting music, uh, dancing in the locker room. But they also had a lot of success in the West Regional. Uh, when it comes to Gonzaga, um, you know, you go in these locker rooms, and we've been in a couple of them already in the NCAA tournament for a few of their games and a few of the media availabilities that they've moved on here. Um, you expect the guys to kind of be excited because though Timmy and Strother and Bolton have been here before, there's a lot of guys who have not really stepped up in a role uh, in the NCAA tournament on the big stage. So you expect them to kind of be jumping up and down excited. But when you go to it, the Gonzaga locker room, they're kind of relaxed, um, stoic in a sense, almost like they know they're supposed to be here. I mean, they've been to eight straight Sweet 16s. Um, they've been to the Elite Eight. Um, they're looking to go, I think, four of the last six seasons is what it is. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think they find the fine line of, of – 
you're Gonzaga. We know we're supposed to win, but also that nothing is guaranteed. And that's kind of the mood, at least with the Bulldogs as it stands right now. All right, what's going to happen in this game? Zags going to win it or uh, UCLA moving on to the Elite Eight? <laughs> you know, I made the mistake because uh, I've, I've been in Spokane for uh, about six months. This is my first Gonzaga basketball season okay. uh, covering the team. And uh, I made the mistake of picking UCLA in my bracket and going public with that. Oh, um, no. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, however, however, um, with, with UCLA kind of shorthanded yeah. and, and the way I saw Drew Timmy just eat alive the post players of TCU and get them in foul trouble. Um, UCLA is going to have to really muck up this game if they're going to want to win this thing um, because Gonzaga is you know, the, the highest scoring offense in the country. They, can run, they could run a track meet if they wanted to. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to give you a pick right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if both either team won. I think it will be really, really close, though, just like the spread in state. You are a Laverne guy, a school between the 210 and the 10? That is correct. Yeah, Laverne Leopards, Division Three, man. Well, there you go. <laughs> I can't remember what year it was, but I think UNLV took on Laverne during the uh, – they have a big break here where they can't play at their home arena. So I think it was that around that time in early December. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to look up the Leopards a little bit. I didn't retain a whole lot. But uh, good for you, man. Good, good for you that yeah, you're, yeah. you're in Spokane yeah, you now. Know, they, so. It's interesting. They play in that, uh, that little uh, tent. They have these tents that they play in. It's not a basketball arena, if that oh, tells wow. you anything <laughs> they're, they're actual tents. It looks like a, like a circus act. But, um, yeah, the Leopards. <laughs> Julian, enjoy the game tonight. We'll be over there in a little bit. And thanks for the, uh, the spot on late notice. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me anytime. There he is from KXLY uh, Channel 4 in Spokane. Julian Minnesota, Laverne guy. And now covering Gonzaga. Have you ref games there? Uh, you, you, uh, Absolutely, I yeah, have. You're fired I've, I've refed inside the tent more than once uh, at the University uh, of Laverne. It is one of the more unique experiences you'll have in uh, in college basketball for sure. First game has tipped in the Sweet 16 as uh, Kansas State out to a quick 5-2 start against Michigan State. Just two minutes into the tilt, and in just a little bit, we're looking at about 40 minutes. It'll be the first game here between Arkansas and those arrogant UConn Huskies. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on Golden Knights game days at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. What a dynamic. Joe DiMaggio mentions on a 2023 talk show and fighting the appreciation of international baseball play. Oh, we love the Mad Dog. We love him. Xavier Pope is in. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, Steve. How you doing? I'm good. I I thought the coverage and some of the reaction around the World Baseball Classic was really weird. There seemed to be a demographic split, but definitely an age split. Like people really got into the international rivalries and but then there was a whole group of older folks like my age and older who seemed to be annoyed that there was so much fervor on the side of the international rosters. Uh I just think that uh Many of those old guys uh, think that the teams, once they play baseball in America, the capitalism is all, 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 all of a sudden supposed to make them a patriot. <laughs> um, just because you live in America uh, doesn't necessarily mean you eschew the country of or- origin and say America is the greatest place in the world. I pledge my allegiance to this country. I just think it, it's, it's absurd for people to think something like that. Um, and furthermore, Many Americans, you ask the average person they watch the WBC, they're going to say no. Um, this doesn't mean as much to American sports fans 
as it did to say uh, Japan or any other of Latin American countries. This is this, this, it's not that we don't have any pride in our country. It's just that it doesn't have the paramount importance because uh, Americans really, frankly, are arrogant and see themselves in the top of the hill, and these other places are trying to be as prominent as this country probably will never be. And so there's a different cultural uh, narrative in terms of the pride associated with professional sports. Were you worked up that the a lot of the uh, Latin players said, hey, you know what, uh, World Baseball Classic is actually bigger for us than MLB in the World Series? Who cares? And that's a that's a that's a point. I mean that that's the narrative throughout the, their sports. You know whether it's soccer, whether whether it's you know a, a cricket in India, a Pakistan, or you know whether it's uh, other other sports in other countries. I mean that, that's how Americans are about freaking football. Um, so let them care about their own country, representing their own country, being happy and prideful of their country. It's none of your freaking business. Let these guys enjoy it, and you, you enjoy them playing and hitting the ball out of the park. So what? Let's. Let's talk about endorsements from athletes and celebrities. And, you know, I'll, I'll draw the parallel. I'm not saying I'm a celebrity. Uh, Candy is. But um, in the sports biz, sports talk biz, we are confronted with – confronted is the wrong word. We have opportunities, Candy, if we want to pimp out the listeners and followers and go, you know, Sign up for this sports book. Deal, deal, deal. In-game parlay, easy to win. Uh, win, 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 win. It's easy. Um, and there's a decision to be made about what you're doing to your listeners and your followers. And we'll draw the parallel to, like, the superstars of superstars, right? And, Xavier, I know you've been following us and we've talked about it. With crypto, there were a lot of celebrity endorsers. And when some of these companies went down and went down hard, a lot of people lost money. And I wonder how many of those celebrities thought to themselves, man, I just completely effed my followers. I don't think many of them said that at all. I mean, it was pretty much uh, a new version of an MLM, <laughs> so to say, a multi-level marketing scheme, some kind of Ponzi scheme, where there is some grifter at the top that manages to news with celebrities and many and that is some of these spaces like clubhouses, Twitter spaces and, and some of these things they could easily attach to them, not even knowing them. And then using their celebrity and, and to be able to pedal across these individual fans to get them to invest. But not only that, pay the celebrities to not to, to, to either become investors or on a flip side to have to give them a fee. And the the, the issue we see with this 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 one uh this one piece I, I, I was talking about earlier today was about this company. Uh, there were rappers um, like Soldier Boy getting paid to not tell their followers <laughs> that they were being paid. That's so underhanded. That's just straight up fraud. And one of those who we know was involved was Tom Brady and Giselle were both uh, part of the FTX situation. And Xavier, it seems like every day right now, even though their situation is resolved. We keep seeing more and more come out. Giselle putting out an interview saying it wasn't just about the football, and then Tom Brady posting some sort of cryptic quote talking about the betrayal of friends on his Instagram. Uh, what do you think about what's going on? Are, are, are these two just fighting it out in public, or, or do you think there's something real going on here? Uh, I think it's definitely something real going on there. You have a, a couple that gets divorced. You really don't know what's going to happen when two people split up. It, it, it could go completely civil or it could go completely left because when it comes to the matters of the heart, um, sometimes there's winners and sometimes there's losers and sometimes there's both. Um, and it looks as if there is some sort of – I think Tom Brady is a person who likes to consider himself to be as private as possible. 
Um, and I think that he doesn't have control over that narrative anymore. And I think it's time to get him a little bit. Xavier Pope is with us, attorney out of Chicago. We'll call him social influencer. Maybe that's a, a dirty term. Uh, but he is the voice of reason on this show and also a cultural contributor as well. Well, Sports Talk Radio is always fun when we get a little bit loose and then we think we're funny and we have to turn to uh, real stupidity from 30 and 40 and 50 years ago to try to make a joke. I want to play everyone a bite from WEEI as uh, I guess the discussion was about Nips, which apparently I actually didn't know this, is uh, those little mini bottles of alcohol. So uh, whatever they are, one and a half, two ounces, one ounce. And they were talking about their favorites. And uh, one of the producers, an Ari type, a board op, jumps in. It so. begs the question, top five nips. Uh, oh, yes. That's a great one. Because mm. uh, uh, Dr. McGillicuddy's, I think, is number one uh, or two. Screwball say, also up uh, there. I'd probably go Mina Kimes. And uh, Fireball. Fireball. Like, Fire I'm not taking a tequila. You're right about the McGillicuddy, though, but do you like the purple or the root beer? Okay. So they're talking about drinks, and then someone drops in Mina Kimes. Xavier? Well, why would you go out of your way to be a racist? <laughs> I mean, I didn't necessarily know that was a racist term, but clearly the person who said it did. And that's the most important part. I mean... Even the individuals that were on on air with him, they really weren't paying attention to what he was saying. Just letting him rapid fire off. So there really nothing, nothing much you could do in that moment. But obviously, the person who said it was being a total jackass. Um, you know that's interesting in radio, Candy. What should you do when someone makes a reference like that? Should you call them out and destroy them, or do you just ignore it and then it sounds like, hey, you were cool with it? I don't know if it does sound like you were cool with it. I think it. it the intention, and I think the way it ends up playing out is you're letting that person hang out there on their own statement, right? Like you're, you're not going to get involved, like yeah. if, because if you, what's going to happen if you jump in there, right? It, are are you the white knight necessarily in that situation? I don't know that you end up coming off that way. So, good, good, Xavier. Because I don't necessarily think they heard what he said to really make that reference and really understand the joke, right? So I don't think it's yeah. really fair on any of his co-hosts anywhere on air when maybe they not they not have caught the reference uh, yeah. in real time. He um he was so happy though. Because uh, I know a lot of people who make jokes and then they look around the room to see if anyone reacts so they get their satisfaction and like the guy next to him was like, uh, whatever dude. Um to explain, I mean I I think for a lot of the audience we don't have to go into the historical context of the term nip. It's a very negative term uh, you know, for Japanese people around the World Wars, especially World War II, and right afterwards, and a couple of things with this, um, Mina Kimes is Korean, so I don't even get that part. And then didn't a station rep come out and go, oh, he didn't mean to say Mina Kimes, he meant to say Mila Kunis, and I was like, wait a second, Mila Kunis, Japanese, and I'm like, oh, Ukrainian. I'm like, I don't, what is going on here? <laughs> what, what is happening? Total buffoonery, and that's a total uh, uh, mistake to try to cover up with something racist, yep. with something stupid. Just uh, th- 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 take responsibility for, for your, your, your host being an idiot. Move yep. on. Yeah. I, I love the, the last term, move on, because then instead it turns into something that Mina Kimes has to react to and three days of, as you called it, buffoonery all over social media. A uh, really good story written by John Wertheim. Uh, SI has kind of changed, as Candy knows, um, 
from you know some of the best writers in the world to some of the best writers in the world and a collection of I'm not really sure what, but he is still a really good writer. Xavier, I saw you tweet this out from Michael Eaves. Uh, the story was basically about the death of the local sports anchor, and I really enjoyed reading this because it talked about the history, you know, especially going back like to the late 60s through the early 2000s about legends in a lot of these big markets and now what's happened to local sports on TV. Yeah, you know, like the, the Brian Gumbles of the world and, and Bob Alvarez is getting you know, their start as a local sports anchor, um, and then they come over, either they, they become bigger in sports or they wind up becoming, going to mainstream and becoming a big-time news personality. I think that um, it, 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 it goes to show you. But I know a lot of friends who have to try to go different, different, different routes because of some of the jobs that are shrinking in sports journalism, particularly in some of those local sports markets where sometimes they're combining the, the sports anchor with another position. So, you're not, you're not, so now you're covering traffic, you're covering um, accidents, you're covering sports as well as kind of this combo role where there was more of a dedicated role in many markets in the past. And I think back, Xavier, to getting my start in the media business more than 20 years ago. I was in Flagstaff, Arizona. The first job I ever had paid me less than $20,000 at the newspaper. And they came and the local TV station offered me the sports anchor job and somehow offered me less than I was already (laughs) making to get involved in it. And it would have been, I'm not joking when I say this, I would have been on the uh, power company's low-income assistance program if I had taken that job i mean it just seems like it's such a hard field to break into in the first place and now where are you trying to go if you do break into it yeah i think that's that's true i mean because are you are you trying to get everyone to be on espn everyone can't be on espn Uh, everyone wants to go to um some of these other uh different large markets and so i think that um there definitely needs to be more training and mentorship and obviously we talked about this uh, when I was in Vegas last year during the NBJ conference about how to make sure that what, what's going to happen to that position if it's now this kind of Swiss Army knife position, particularly as local news gets squeezed out more and more and more over time um, and kind of this blended coverage. Are you going to have a chat bot now delivering sports scores and, and kind of some theater at the end of, a, end of a news program? Where are we going with it? Yeah, I still think the, the cream rises to the top, and there's a lot of talented people. You just have to do a lot more than you, you did in the past, and people have to go out and find features and hustle, and sometimes they got to carry their own camera. they got to do the editing. So it's still a position that's valued, and I'll tell you, it's very valued here in Las Vegas where we keep adding sports. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, we could get on the laundry list that was mentioned in there. I've, I've actually enjoyed recently watching 76-year-old Jim Hill, who's still doing it, in LA and he's one of the legends and every market had you know had one or two of those guys. I want to close on something very important and that's what happens in our homes. Xavier Pope is with us. Uh Xavier, you're the lone person on the show with a child. Um listen, I've built my life around having my own bathroom. Um it's very satisfying. Uh it, it just is. You made a comment the other day about your daughter and trying to figure out what the hell is going on in the bathroom and why it's taking so long. Hey, if anyone has a teenager, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. A particular teenage daughter uh, who spends ungodly amount of time in the bathroom. I mean, it has to be like an hour, hour and a half. And I'm just like wondering, what are you doing in there? Like, why are you on TikTok? Are you, are you, are you putting on makeup? Are you doing your hair? I, 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 I'm so confused. 
after a while, I have to check on my daughter. Like, are you okay in there? <laughs> it's just a godly amount of time. I marvel at the amount of time you can physically spend in a bathroom. If your parents out there, you had a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You understand exactly what I'm saying. Well, personally, I don't primp a whole lot. I'm pretty sloppy looking fella. Um, showers can, <laughs> can, can go about... Yeah, six minutes. That's fine. But I'll tell you, I spend about 35 minutes a day in that bathroom. I love the solitude, the peace, the quiet, the throne. It's all good with me. I get away from my hey, cats. Hey, that's throne. And, and nothing wrong with a good throne, throne visit. Yes. No, no question yes. about it. I, 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 I totally support that. But that's going to get you about, what, 30, 40 minutes? Top, not like an hour, hour and a half. No, no. What am I going to do? It's going to take me that long to, to shave and you know comb some hair over my bald spot. And What else am I going to do? That's it. Nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. That's all 35 over. minutes. Oddly specific amount of time, Cofield. Oddly, I, not just, I, oh, yeah, I'm in there for a half hour. No, 35. The ball spot, though. I need to know amount of time is getting put on the ball, the ball spot. I need to know which angle you're going. Are you doing a little swirl, a little swift over? Like, are you, are you licking your fingertips and pressing it down? What are you doing, Steve? <laughs> Xavier, you have a wonderful weekend. We'll uh, we'll check in next week, and in, I think you're uh, you're a college basketball fan. You know, even with the uh, kind of the piggishness of the NCAA, at least the kids are making some money now, right? That's right. Um, all over it. Um, love you guys. See you, see you next week. There he is, Xavier Pope. I don't know why I said 35 minutes. I feel like that was a callback to Friday. Uh, don't nobody go in there for about 35, 45 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. I um. Not to get too graphic, I, I enjoy working in the bathroom. Not working on the bathroom. Working no. in the bathroom. No. no, no like I, I said. Because I feel like you're working over the bathroom. I feel, I feel like oh, you're yeah. taking the bathroom <laughs> to the woodshed. Yes. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Bang. I was, Boom. I was actually, I was actually thinking uh, the next money that I invest in the house is going to go into at least one, if not both, of the main bathrooms. When you spend that much time in there, I, I told, didn't I tell you last, I think I told someone last week on air that I put a fan in there. I, that was oh, one of the first me. things I did yeah. when I moved you, in like seven years me. ago. Yep, you, you told me all about the fan. I thought you were going to say something about a bidet. I thought you were going to try to make this oh. uh, a more refined experience. Bruh, bruh, I've got a plumber friend. I think that's the next install, a new toilet and the bidet. I just don't know what to invest in. I might have to get some expertise out there from the audience.